And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Power Hour, a weekly show hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach. And I am excited to be joined today by The Athletic's Kyle Tucker for one of our special basketball editions. We will be here each week with a special basketball power hour through the final four. We are through the first weekend, headed to the Sweet 16. So as a reminder, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on the Andy Staples Show and Friends feed. Obviously, you'll get your fill with college football content throughout the offseason, and there's plenty of news to discuss this time of year. But also, you'll get our basketball episodes for the next couple of weeks. On today's episode of Power Hour, we will break down everything you need to know in college hoops in an hour or less. Kyle, thanks so much for doing this. We have just spent, what, five days together in Greensboro for the first round site. Uh, Have you recovered? Have we slept yet? No, no. Well, slept a little bit, but I definitely haven't recovered. And the mission today is to dump my suitcase into the washing machine and pull it out of the dryer and put it right back in the suitcase. (laughs) I'm actually really thankful that I'm thankful that the team I was covering is not moving forward for my personal reasons because it was uh, if it was Kentucky it was going to be get home last night at six o'clock and leave this afternoon for New York because it went from a Friday Sunday site to a Thursday Saturday which is a maybe I'll rant about this later but they got to be a, yes. be able to figure out a way that teams that play Friday Sunday do it again the second weekend. That is that is a good one. You should save it for the last call because it's also one of the behind the scenes like sports writers, how you survive March strategies. The The best way to do it is to get a Thursday, Saturday site the first weekend. Yes, you have to go pretty quickly after Selection Sunday, but like that extra day makes such a big difference. Like we're recording this on a Tuesday. I took like a 6 a.m. flight out of Greensboro on Monday I don't even know what day or time it is as we're recording this right now. It, it really does compress that second week. And this time of year, you're, you're just living out of a suitcase. You just you put some dress clothes in, you wash them, you put them back in the suitcase, and you head out. So, Kyle, you will be on site in Louisville this weekend, correct? Correct. Yep. I'll be on basically Alabama watch. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll see if the Princeton magic can continue. That'd be kind of cool. Princeton, Princeton, Alabama in the Elite Eight for a spot in the Final Four would be an unbelievable sort of just um, collision of worlds. Yes, because often when you think about college sports, major college sports, you put Alabama and Princeton in the same category. So this makes <laughs> this would make a lot of sense. Um, I am obviously super pumped about the New Jersey storylines throughout the season. Everyone's heard me talk about them. Um, but the fact that Princeton is through with 16, we will get to that in a second. Um, so Kyle, let's dive in. We'll start with, we always structure the show with a power five. Um, we're, we're doing it a little differently for, for basketball. So we're just going to do five topics for news and notes across the sport. And I want to start with one of the teams you just mentioned in Alabama. There's only two number one seeds alive after the first weekend. The path does appear to be clearing out for Alabama, the number one overall seed. They have looked extremely dominant. That second half that we saw from Houston, despite injuries, Marcus Sasser was just unbelievable. So Houston and their hope of playing a Final Four in their hometown remains alive. So those are the two number one seeds. Certainly, everyone's seen the highlights of Purdue losing to FDU and a 16 over one just for the second time ever. And then we also lost Kansas as they lost to Arkansas. And that was another game. Obviously, Bill's health has been dealing with some health issues. He was not on the sidelines for either of the NCAA tournament games. So maybe if we had known about Bill, Bill Self's availability, we might have foreseen a little bit of this. But Kyle, are we surprised that in a year after this regular season, with the season that was and the chaos that was, 
Are we surprised that two number one seeds did not make it through the first weekend? No, I think probably surprised that Purdue lost to a 16. I mean, something that's only ever happened once ever <laughs> um, happening again was a little surprising, but not that they didn't get out of the first first weekend. I, I, I was not a huge believer in the long term um, sustainability of, of Purdue there. You know, I just don't think they're built for the tournament, um, you know, that, which is a larger question. I tweeted this out like this was supposed to be the year of the big man in college basketball. There were five veteran um, all American at one time or another in their career, traditional big men who came back to school and it was this big storyline and NIL was a part of that. And the fact that the NBA has sort of turned against those guys and, and not wanted them as the other part of that. And so the, the, the old school traditional big man's coming back. Uh, and so there's Zach Eady gets bounced by a 16 seed. There's Oscar Shibwe, who in three NCAA tournament games in his career at Kentucky averaged 21 points and 20 rebounds and won one tournament game, uh, losing in the second round. Last year, lost to the, the 15 seed St. Peter's. Hunter Dickinson in Michigan, not in the tournament. Uh, Armando Baycott in North Carolina, not in the tournament. And then Trace Jackson Davis. Uh, bounced in the second round you know really drew timmy is the the last great hope of the the senior center coming back um and that tells us maybe tells us something about you know there's several things that are kind of revealing themselves i think about the new world of college basketball that's one that you know guard uh, that's actually not a new revelation guards win in march <laughs> i think it's more true than ever um the other one is that it feels like there's just total parity in college basketball right now, I think because of the transfer portal um, and the fact that guys fan out all over the place. Um, and this season, there was there was no clear team that I thought was just unstoppable. Alabama was the closest thing, but they even had a couple bumps in the road. Um, Houston was the next closest thing. Like the only two teams that really looked all year like they played a, in a style and a way – and were sort of upset proofed. The only teams who look like that are the two one seeds that are left. And, and I would say maybe the favorites to, to go win this thing. Okay. So let's, let's talk about them a little bit. Um, you obviously cover the sec and you were around Alabama at the sec tournament. You mentioned you're going to have them this weekend. Brandon Miller, despite everything that's happened off the court, has been playing extremely well. We know he's a little banged up. He didn't score in their opening round game. Didn't matter for Alabama. Um, but he is the kind of player, a top five projected pick, type of player who can take over a game, which is very valuable this time of year. But tell tell me, tell our listeners, what else gets Alabama going? Why are they so good and now probably the overwhelming favorite considering the way the bracket looks right now? I think they're just overwhelming. I mean, they from for most of the year they brought Javon Quinterly off the bench, who was you know the star of their SEC regular season and tournament title seasons two years ago, um, you know, and then tore tore his ACL in the tournament last year and has kind of worked his way back, and now he's back all the way. Uh, I think they have three uh, McDonald's former McDonald's All American guards, and then Brandon Miller. Um, and then they've got rim protection. They've got Bediaco and these guys that are blocking shots. They got, you know, six, 10 guys stepping out, hitting threes. Um, you know, they have a, they have not just a little bit of everything. They have a lot of everything. Um, they're deep. They hit you with waves of guys. Um, you know, so, you know, if you get to the rim on them, they're going to block your shot. Uh, if you're making threes, they can typically bury you in just as many or more. Um, and I think the fact that the biggest thing for Nate Oates this year is, you know, everybody focuses on his offensive philosophy and, and there's, you know, he's created all this sort of debate, de debate between new school and old school and analytics and, and, and whatever is anti, whatever is the opposite of analytical coaching, <laughs> uh, John Calipari's approach, um, you know, Nate Oates has basically decided it's threes and layups. And and it's not, it's not a, a halfway in philosophy. It is it is an all the way in philosophy to the point that he puts tape down on the floor to, uh, you know, mark off that these shots are worth more than those shots in practice. He basically eradicates the mid range from his offense, and so that there's been a ton of focus on that. 
because that style threes and layups, one of the things it relies on threes can miss, you know, you can have a game where you go cold uh, and do you get bounced? Everybody says about Alabama. If you ask anybody that's cynical about Alabama on the court, it is, well, they'll just go cold one game and they'll be out. But this year, the difference is they're elite defensively. And so they can survive a game where they go cold. Um, you know, they can, they can win an ugly one if they have to. And I think that makes a difference. Okay, so quickly, uh, let's let's talk about Houston a little bit. You said, you know, all season long, they've been one of those teams that could be upset proof, uh, has been consistent. What do you, how, how concerned are you about some of the injuries, the fact that they're not 100%, even though we did see them, you know, come back and, and win that game against Auburn to get to the Sweet 16, and now they get a couple days off. Long-term, we concerned about the health there as, as a limiting factor for, for the Kooks? Yeah, for sure. I think I think that, and just the fact that you know they don't play nobody, but they, you they play in a good conference, and they do they challenge themselves out of conference. But they're not in that grind of playing that. You know, they're not playing in, in the Big Twelve right now. Um, they're not playing in the SEC week in and week week out. And 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 even so, now they've gotten to the end, and they are they are beat up. And now here comes a Miami team that's got some firepower. I mean, they've got some firepower um, and they could, um, you know, they could bounce them in a hurry. And if they get past them, then you got a Texas team that is just overwhelming in its talent um, all just to get to that final four in Houston. Um, and so I, mean, I thought they they drew a pretty a pretty rough field uh, to get through to get out of their region. And, you know, that matters, too, like as we as we sort of weigh in on coaches and, you know, uh, their how much of their legacy should be tied to how far they go in tournaments. You know, did they blow it with this team that was seated this or that? Like matchups matter. You know, I mean, the the thing is opened up for Alabama. Alabama is going to have to go through Texas A and M, Corpus Christi, Maryland, San Diego State, and either Creighton or San Diego State to get to the Final Four. Princeton, yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, or Princeton yeah. to get to the final. Yeah, floor. they have their their whole region has fallen apart, and, and you're yeah. right about like Houston has the toughest teams seating and like the way that they've gotten here than anybody else, and it's not close. Like that part of the region has stayed mostly intact. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Houston, you know, from second round on, it's Auburn, Miami, Texas maybe to get out. And that's, you know, that's no joke. So um, it'll be a challenge for them. And Texas is fascinating to me on the bottom end of that uh, Midwest uh, bottom side of that Midwest bracket, um, because, you know, does Rodney Terry have to get to a final four to keep that job? It, it kind of feels like it, which is weird to me. Like I, I think he's done such a good job this year. There's, there's a debate there about, um, do you give it to a guy who has held this thing, absolutely held it together in the face of a crazy thing happening to their head coach um, and won the Big 12 tournament, got earned a two seed, you know, potentially, you know, I, I think they're going to get through, get past Xavier and at least get to the Elite Eight. Does he really have to win just one more game to get to the Final Four and keep his job? Or if he does, I mean, are we talking about one game deciding whether or not you keep this guy? Um, you know, and there's the long term of do you think you can go get somebody better in the big picture? Right. And should you still give this guy a chance? I, I really think he probably has to get to the final four. And so Texas versus Houston, one guy trying to keep his job <laughs> that he that he wants, uh, and the other guy trying to get his team to a hometown final four. Um, I think that one would be would be a Titanic Elite Eight game. It, it really would. Um, I can't believe you're discounting our Xavier Musketeers that we just spent multiple days <laughs> around. No, I mean, look, Xavier will be will be a real challenge, and I'm writing today about uh, Sule Boom and and they Adam Kunkel made all five of his threes in the first half of that game, yeah. and uh, they you know Jack Nunji with is just a giant human being and had one of the biggest blocks you could ever have to save them from getting upset. Yep. Um, and that's the thing. That team almost went down to Kennesaw State. I mean, they were moments away from losing to Kennesaw State. So, uh, adding to the madness of this bracket, that would they were the fourteen, right? Yeah, yeah that would have been. Was, we did not get a fourteen. I was going to say it would have been, been a 13, 14, 15, and sixteen all getting out. 
Uh, okay, that is that is the perfect transition to topic number two because wanted to look at that kind of holistically. Uh, obviously, we've we've written a lot, we've talked a lot about Fairly Dickinson as a 16 shortest team in Division One. Really, nothing impressive on their schedule or resume. They they got into the tournament on technicality. They go beat Purdue. Princeton not only beats Arizona, but then crushes Mizzou. So they're into the Sweet 16 as a 15, which we've now had three times in the last four years, if I have that data right. And you also have a 13 in Furman beating Virginia. So, Kyle, some of this people are grouping in because Virginia's had multiple double digit losses in recent years. You've also had the same with Purdue. So, some of this is like, you mentioned the style or playing through a big man. A lot of people have talked about the way that Virginia plays, the pack line, and, and how it presents opportunities for upsets. But when you think about like the amount of double-digit seed upsets we've had in the last couple of years, recent, like in the current iteration of college basketball, like are there reasons for it? Do do you do you have any theories? I mean, I just like I said, it, I think early on. One, I think it's a lot of parity. I just think the talent level has spread out. I think, um, I think, I think coaches are a lot smarter now. I mean, there's a whole new wave of 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 coaches that think differently. Um, the game has changed a little bit. The college game has changed. Um, again, having guards like if you get into March and you just got like Kansas State with Marquise Noel, like five foot eight maybe guy who can just go get buckets. Um, you know, those guys win. And, you know, I think, it, I think, you know, FDU is such an interesting one on the heels of St. Peter's because the same deal, like St. There was nothing to suggest that St. Peter's was going to do anything special. I mean, they hadn't had like a, they were like a 19 win team or something out of a small conference coming in and they go to the elite eight. Um, and by the way, like Virginia had the six lost to the 16 seed, but then had the great redemption and go win the title the next year. Purdue loses to a 15 seed and then comes back and loses to a 16 seed. That is a brutal back-to-back year for Purdue. And you know, Matt Painter said it like it, he's like it just kills you. It haunts you because your team, you you had a group of guys that won 28 games and now 29 games, and their season is thought of as an as a colossal failure. It cannot be thought of as any other way. Um, you know, and so the, that's what it's one. It's what makes the the tournament great, but it it also is a reminder of what a flawed way it is to like for, for to put everything on the tournament in terms in the bigger picture of evaluating people. Like if you had a great team and a great year and you su- sustain success for four months and you lose in the tournament, you know, to somebody that got hot. Does that invalidate all of it? It does. I mean, to mo- pretty much yeah, everybody. Yeah, to a lot of people. Does, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure it should, you know, because if we if you set the, if you set up the college postseason if you, and you took the 16 best teams and played a playoff, you know, an actual playoff, the best teams would win most years. And you would say and and you wouldn't think they weren't the best teams because they had to take extra games to do it. But in a one-off in a one-off situation, you're going to have your you, you you get this delightful television product that is worth billions of dollars because people want to root for the big guy to go down but you are not going to almost ever crown not ever but you're frequently not going to crown the best team in the country um i mean kentucky uh, kentucky fans feel i mean the recent years have contributed to this a lot but they feel kind of broken but right now and i think they think the program broke in 2015 when they were 38 no and lost to wisconsin in the final four and that season is viewed as this like sort of epic letdown and people talk about people kentucky fans that i took talk to all the time talk about the total misery of that season that was just so miserable and i want to be like you guys were partying for like four months i mean they beat they beat a good Kansas team by 32 points in the regular season and had Bill Self come in and grab his water bottle and say, I was hoping this would be vodka. They beat UCLA so bad. It was like 42 to seven at halftime in the modern era. It was like the worst halftime beating between two power conference teams 
in history. They romped through people. You had Cal Perry talking about tanks coming over the hill. You go 38-1 and one in a season, and people it's viewed as just abject failure because you lost at the end. Um, the tournament is cruel that way, but it's really fun that way. And I haven't really answered your question about why are we getting all these double-digit seeds other than the fact that, like, I think it's just all spread out now. And, and this is, to me, the new normal. You mentioned that, like, the frequency of it. These aren't flukes anymore. I mean, you have to – you have if you're filling out a bracket, you got to put – at minimum, you got to put a 14 over a 3 in there. You know, I mean, everybody's done – 12-5 was popular forever, right? There was always a 12-5. Well, now there's always a 14, 15, or 16 uh, winning a game, if not two games. Yeah, and that was that was one of the cool parts about this. Obviously, Princeton winning the second game, getting through to the Sweet 16, but also FDU, because again, we've only seen this once with UMBC, but UMBC was wiped. Like, they were flat in the second game after they blew out Virginia. FDU and Florida Atlantic gave us one of the best games of the weekend, and it was so weird because FAU and Dusty May, like, that's a team we've all loved, wanted them to get in the tournament. Like, they're that darling and the only way you're not going to be the Cinderella in your own game is when you're playing a 16. <laughs> and everyone is like yeah. trying to see if that's going to continue on. But now the Owls advance and everyone will pull for them again. Um, and they've got Tennessee, which is going to be an interesting game. But that was the dynamic that played out as well. When you have so many upsets, you end up with a 9-16 game in the round of 32. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Kyle, our third topic, I do want to dive a little deeper into what happened with Kentucky at our site in Greensboro. They lose to K-State. We've talked about Marquise Noel. We're going to talk about him in a second, about some of the breakout stars already. But what is going on? What is the state of Kentucky basketball when, like you just described, the last two tournaments have not gone according to plan, haven't gotten out of the first weekend. Oscar has gotten his in these games. He has done what he can but they have not been able to win these games when they matter. How frustrated is the fan base? Yeah. What can Cal do in the offseason? Like, what does Kentucky do now? Yeah, that's the, that's the million-dollar question. Uh, first of all, people are very frustrated. You know, I, I think you, it's the lowest sort of approval rating in 14 years of Cal Perry here. Um, you know, in the first six years, he went to – the final to the elite eight five times and the final four, four times in the national championship twice and won one and almost, and had an undefeated regular season. Um, that was about as good of a, you know, you could, you could quibble that he should have won another title in there. We talked about the 38 and O team that didn't get it done, but that was about as good of a six year run as you could possibly have. I mean, they were, they were the Kings of college basketball. Everybody talked about Kentucky, everybody, you know, every, Buddy with a camera wanted to follow them around and get behind the scenes and ESPN would give them any show they wanted to have, you know, they were, they were the it school. And since then it's been sort of a steady decline. And to the point that over the last, you know, in 2020, they won the sec by three games and then the postseason was canceled. And since then it has been mostly misery. They went nine and 16. It was their worst record in almost a hundred years at Kentucky in the sort of bubble year. Um, they have a really a pretty strong regular season last year. They they smashed uh, Kansas at Kansas and Carolina on a neutral court. They smashed Tennessee, hung a hundred something on Tennessee. They had you know the three games where they just absolutely dominated really good teams, including the two who played eventually played for the national title. 
for, I don't know, six, seven weeks of last season, I thought they looked like the best team in the country. And they had the National Player of the Year, Oscar Shibwe. And then St. Peter's happens, and they're out in the first round. This was supposed to be like the revenge tour for, for those guys in Calipari. Oscar came back to school. We talk about that, the, the rare National Player of the Year coming back to school, first one since Tyler Hansborough in 2008, um, you know, on a mission. They got all these guys back. They got two really good McDonald's All-America freshmen coming in, preseason top five team, and pretty much immediately face-planted. They just weren't they just weren't as good as advertised, and they spent really the whole season kind of riding this roller coaster of win a few games and get some hope, lose a couple of bad ones. Win a few games, get some hope, lose a couple of bad ones. Uh, you know, and until the last few weeks of the season, weren't a lock to get in the tournament. I think once they locked that in, people thought, okay, maybe maybe they'll pull it together. And I think certainly it helps a little that they didn't get bounced in the first round again. They didn't get put out by a guy who transferred from Kentucky last year, Bryce Hopkins at Providence. They were able to get by that one and at least exercise that demon. They hadn't won a tournament game, partially because of COVID, but the fact remains they had not won a tournament game at Kentucky since 2019, which is unfathomable. Um, that helped, but then they turn around and they're in position. They're up four with three minutes to go. They're up four against Kansas State, and it would have been so huge for them, excuse me, <clears throat> even if they don't win again, I think if they could get to the Sweet 16 this year with the number one recruiting class coming in next year for people to sort of believe again that Cal was like turning a corner. But then Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson and, you know, this hail of three-pointers comes down on them in the last three minutes of the game, and it's over. And it, ha it can happen that quick. I mean, Kentucky had, was, you know, in position to win that game with three minutes to go, and then it was over. Um, and it was one team had these really clutch shot makers, and the other team didn't. The other team, I mean, Casey Wallace did play very well for Kentucky, but he was more of a drive and finish guy, not a, you know, he's not bombing them on your head. Um, and, you know, Kentucky's one shooter basically all year, uh, Antonio Reeves, who'd been very good, missed his first 14 shots. Of course, he hits the last one when the game's out of hand. But he, he, was, he started 0 for 14. And, you know, you go, well, what are you going to do? That happens. But the problem is they had one shooter. You know, it, it's, a, it's a question of roster construction. It's a question of philosophy. It's a question of, to the bigger question I talked about earlier with all the big men, these elite, as good as you could be, college big men, who came back and didn't get out of the first weekend of the tournament or even make it this year. Does it work in 2023 to build everything around a traditional back to the basket center? <laughs> or is it better to be, you know, have a stack of guards who can make shots no matter how big they are? Um, I think I'd rather have the latter. If I'm building a team, I'd rather have, five really good guards who can all handle it and shoot and at least three of them can create uh, their own shot than to have one player of the year level center. And yeah, you know, I mean, I that's, th what that's what this is going to be such an interesting off season. Although I guess we've said that the last couple of years at Kentucky for Cal and, and some of these like macro questions about what it takes to win in college basketball in 2023 moving forward. And as you've kind of traced like the course of his tenure, you know, the sec also went from being like just Kentucky and Florida yes. to now all of these other teams, like Arkansas is in the sweet 16, Tennessee's in the sweet 16. We've seen Auburn go on runs, Alabama, the ultimate football school is now the heavy favorites to win the NCAA tournament. So I feel like that also has added an element and not just like in terms of those schools going after dudes that maybe Kentucky would want, but also the styles of play and just that it's, it's going to be harder to get to the end of the season. Absolutely. And, you know, Brandon Miller used to be the guy that would be at Kentucky. I mean, it, you know, I think college basketball has gotten older and that has hurt, you know, I think that's hurt Calipari too. <laughs> Um, you know, with the extra COVID year, like you're playing against a bunch of 24 year olds every year. Um, but I think still, if you have an elite freshman, if you've got 
if you've got a guy who's a you know top 10 pick in the NBA draft, he's a difference maker even against veterans because he's like they're veterans because they weren't in, they weren't pros. <laughs> if they were pros, they wouldn't be in college anymore. So if you've got guys that are pros that like could have gone pro yesterday out of high school that have to play a year in college, you that can still make a difference. But he doesn't have as many of those guys. Like this year, the only true guy they had like that was Kaysom Wallace, and he had to be moved around because of the point guard issues. But Brandon Miller is like that guy. He's the guy who was always at Kentucky under Cal or at Memphis under Cal, and and he's at Alabama. Um, you know, Alabama, Auburn, um, LSU previously um, under Will Wade. All those programs kind of rose up, and they and Tennessee started getting the kind of players that Cal was getting, and really everybody in the country. I mean, with NIL, you could you got a shot to go lure somebody that you had no business getting in the past, um, and even before NIL, there were plenty of people out there able to lure those <laughs> those people uh, with strong ass offers. So, um, I, I think that whole brave new world sort of the fact that Cal wasn't just like give me the five best players in the country every year <laughs> and I'll go dominate you with them. You're going to have to adjust. Like you're not going to be in this, um, you're not going to be in this extreme advantageous uh, situation from a talent perspective, night in and night out anymore. If you're him, um, it's just not the case, not in your own league and in, in not in a lot of other cases. Yeah. I always think back about something like the Billy Donovan, the Florida folks, would say and think about would be, you know, when you had one and done, if you got rid of one and done and like the, the top 10 type players couldn't all just go to Kentucky, it would even out the sport more. But if those guys spread out a little bit, that also evens out the sport more and the yeah. portal. And um, it, it's, it, it really has led to, to more parity. Um, it's kind of the same thing happening on the women's side. Like people don't just go to UConn and then ride the bench and wait their turn. Like they go and they play at Iowa or wherever else now, Villanova. Um, okay. So I want to make sure we hit on some of the breakout players. We've been talking about our guy, Marquise Noel, a lot. I've got a story about him up at the athletics. So for our fourth topic, do you want to talk about some of these, these guys, like the dudes that we maybe collectively did not pay enough attention to, or didn't know that people are falling in love with. And I feel like he is the epitome of that because he's idolized Kemba Walker. So the idea of, you know, an undersized guard, just kind of taking over games, controlling games, getting on a tear, carrying his team, putting them on his back. Like that's something he's always wanted to do, but his career is interesting to me because he's he he is said he's five seven. He's listed at five eight, but I've started to use five seven because he has said that that's how tall he is on a good day, and he is very small. And it's led to people doubting him, legitimately doubting him for every step of his career because I'm just not sure you can play with a guy that size at the high major level. So then he ends up at Little Rock or can he start when he gets to K State or is he going to back up Nigel Pack? You know, can 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 K State play two guards that are under six feet tall in the Big Twelve? Right, like there were so many questions about yeah. this at every step of the way, and he is just such a joy to watch because we all saw those dazzling no look passes, the behind the back stuff in the first half against Kentucky. Then in the second half, he scores twenty two points, takes it over a team that wasn't shooting well at all from three. He drains a couple, and then there were obviously the two by Ish and Keontae Johnson at the end that put the game away. But he is that dude who can just totally take over a game. You you just you you can you can see the intensity and the joy and the swagger and all of that coming out of him as he's playing. And what I enjoyed about getting to know his story a little bit is how interconnected the New York City basketball scene is. Like we all know that, right? All those guys, like they all talk about knowing each other, but like how he ended up at Little Rock and then K-State is because there were New York City guys who knew him, who knew of him. His dad gave me this great quote about how like he, he'd rather trust someone from New York City because they have to tell you the truth because otherwise like he'll see them, like you'll see them, yep. you'll run into them. And that's like essentially how he ended up at K-State as well. And then you have a coaching transition. He's one of the two players who stay for Jerome Tang. He is the reason that he's like, – Jerome Tang's like, I think we might be able to get to the NCAA tournament. 
Marquise Noel says, give me anybody and we'll get there. Like I, we, we will get there. I have confidence in us. I think we can do this. And now obviously they're in the sweet 16. He gets to play at the garden for a kid who grew up in Harlem. That is a massive deal. His dad thinks that there may be thousands of people showing up at this game just to see him based on his 3, reputation. 3,000, right? He said, said 3,000. Yeah. I mean, first of all, who doesn't need a hype man as a father like that? Like, yeah. come on. Yeah. But he's basing that off of some of the crowds that there have been for, you know, high school game matchups and some of that other stuff in the area. Um, so it, to me, he is he is one of the faces of this March Madness already. And I, I think it's he's one of the reasons that we love this time of year, because if you weren't watching K-State or maybe you were focusing more on Jerome Tang and the incredible job he did in his first year. Like maybe you don't know his, his life story, but this is the time of year we watch these players. We see them, we see the emotions and then we get to learn about them. And so I really enjoyed reporting that story out and and learning about him. And I, I think it's so cool the way the bracket worked out that he gets to play at the garden for this next round. Yeah, he was he was an awesome character, and I think he scored 15 of his points in like the last six minutes because he hit two huge threes and like I think eight. I think he was eight for eight at the free throw line at the end of the game. Just ridiculously good. Um, but he also like going into that game, somebody said like, "What do you think about playing a team like Kentucky?" And all he said was, "Kill them." <laughs> and you know, and and you know, they those guys had no no issue kind of snapping about the, you know, snapping at the idea that like they were, they were playing the big bad wolf, like Jerome Tang. Somebody asked him about that. What does it mean to you to beat a program like Kentucky? And he's like, what about, you know, basically, well, we're a program like us. Like, you know, we have a good program too. And and that's got elicited the quote about dudes. Like, you know, all those seniors Kentucky had out there, none of it matters unless you got dudes and we had more dudes than them. Um, and that's such an interesting thought too, because every you know, if you if you went by recruiting rankings, like Marquise would be like the twentieth guy picked <laughs> between those two teams. Like if you went by their high school recruiting rankings, the idea of what makes a dude, and it, it's what it's what the dude makes of himself, right? Like there's a bunch of five stars and McDonald's All Americans out there for Kentucky. There are other higher ranked guys on the Kansas State roster nobody was more important to any nobody was more important to any team in the field on on a given day than he was to them in that game against Kentucky I mean he was just outrageously good I mean he 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 hit one of his threes standing on the logo um I mean he was like five steps from half court pulled it with no hesitation I don't know if that's a great shot but he you know I think that's what makes him really fun to watch is just like a fearlessness. And, a, and it's clear too, that he and Tang are on the same page. Like Jerome Tang is letting him, you know, letting it ride with him. Um, and so I think the fact that he gets to go home to, to New York is really cool. And I think the fact that he'll get introduced to, you know, another you know, broader audience again, you know, if they can get to a final four, I think he'll be potentially like the star of the, you know, non non Brandon Miller category, like he might become the most talked about guy at the Final Four if he if they can get there because he's he's that fun and that interesting. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I want to wrap up our fifth topic here of just looking at these Sweet 16 games. I know we've talked about a couple of them. We talked about Xavier, Texas. That's a 2-3 game. I think it's the only 2-3 game that we have. Oh, that's not true. Z- uh, UCLA, Gonzaga. But you've got some really interesting matchups. Like, I don't think anyone would have thought that the four teams in New York would be Florida Atlantic, Tennessee, Kansas State, Michigan State. One of those four teams is going to be playing in the final four. Yeah. Like, that is that is crazy. That is awesome. And, and like you said, I mean – Alabama is going through San Diego State and then the winner of Creighton-Princeton. Like, those teams are, are going to be in the mix. Creighton or Princeton is going to be in the Elite Eight. Like, it is wild to think about some of this. So when you look at this, the bracket, uh, as we sit here heading into the Sweet 16, what are, like, the two games that you are most excited for? Yeah, what, one one thing I wanted to point out about that as you're talking about that, David Teal, uh, the esteemed uh, ACC writer forever, longtime friend of mine, texted me the other day. I think I think the stat he said was that if if Michigan State uh, does not win the East and Gonzaga wins the West, that this will be the first time uh, since ni- like 1990 that a previous national champion was not in the no no previous national champion was in the Final Four which is pretty wild. Um, but you, you were asking me, what'd you ask me? The two, the two matchups. Yeah, yeah, give, a, give me, give me two sweet 16 games. You think will be the best. I mean, I, I think Gonzaga UCLA is, is going to be terrific because, um, you know, this was, this was supposedly like the down year for, <laughs> for Mark fuse program. And, you know, they got a, this would, this would be like exactly the year they'd go win the whole thing. Right. Like the year that, you finally, everybody finally stops talking about them. Maybe, maybe that's what they needed. You know, I mean, it's a lot of pressure every time you go into a tournament, you know, over the last, what, decade now, I feel like at some point it flipped from them being this feel good story to this, you know, can they win it all? If they don't win it all, they're a failure. It's like, this is what eight straight sweet 16s outrageously good. I think four elite eights, you know, two national championship games, um, They've been so close. They've kept knocking on the door, and it would be wild to me if this was uh, like this chaos year would make perfect sense. They're supposedly a down team. The whole bracket implodes. They go win the thing. It's also a rematch of a couple of previous, just epic tournament games that they have played. The crying Adam Morrison game um, from a, a few years back, where Gonzaga had it and and it gets stolen away from them at the end. And obviously, the classic game they played in the bubble. Uh, final four, um, you know, I, that one to me, I, I, that is eminently watchable. Um, probably the, the, probably the other one is, um, Arkan in the same region, Arkansas and Yukon. Um, you know, those are two very fiery, I guess you'd say <laughs> head coaches, two very, uh, bombastic uh, head coaches and, and two, you know, proud programs that are you really want to get back there. I mean, Arkansas has got a chance to make it three straight elite eights after they took out Kansas. I hope that Eric Musselman will keep his clothes on if they do advance. That was that was quite a choice. Yeah, well, <laughs> quite a choice. Our our poor friend C.J. Moore was mere feet away from all of that sweaty flesh. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, UConn is, is I, I thought our, our other friend, Brendan Quinn, had gone there and just absolutely cursed them. He went and wrote a big profile um, about that program and, and Hurley and, and sort of the magic they were rekindling. And I, they basically went completely in the tank for a while, uh, but they, they have uh, pulled it back together and now have a chance to, to get to an Elite Eight. I mean, that when you talk about historically, that – 
West region is the, the four teams left in the West region are Arkansas, Yukon, Gonzaga, and UCLA. That's a lot of winning uh, and a lot of um, really passionate fan bases there. And that, so that's, a, that's just a fun region to me. Yeah, it is. And, and also just note, we're not going to dive into them on this show, but like the Big East has a bunch of teams in the Sweet 16. And we're in the middle of a week where Rick Pitino just went to St. John's. Ed Cooley moved from Providence to Georgetown. A lot of attention on, on the Big East. And there's going to be in, in the offseason as well. So UConn getting back and being up in this category and being a Sweet 16 team maybe further is absolutely something that is important to that conference and the tradition of that school. And, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to, to follow their run here, uh, with Hurley as well. We're going to wrap up the basketball edition of power hour though, as we wrap up every power hour with a last call, it is a cheers or a jeers. It is whatever you would cheers to, uh, with the last round of a, of a drink at two, you know, at a two in the morning, four in the morning, whatever time the bar closes, so it can be a rant. It can be something you want to celebrate one last time that we haven't hit on yet. Uh, Kyle, I feel like I can see the the wheels spinning in your head. So I'm going to let you go first. Where's your last call going? Oh, just a cheers to Tobin Anderson and FDU. I mean, and and what a cool story. I mean, the smallest team in the tournament beats the tallest. I mean, literally, if you were <laughs> David versus Goliath, literally the smallest team in the tournament beats the largest team and the largest player in the tournament, uh, you know, 16 versus one magic again. And then I think just like the, the gratitude that, that, um, he and they showed and, and just that is, we say it's kind of cliche to say that's what it's all about, but like, that is why people fall madly in love and stay madly in love with the NCAA tournament. Just even the, and that's why I, you know, in the big picture, is it good for crowning a champion and is it good for later round games for all these power teams to lose? No, we'd have, we'd have better later games if the other, if those, if the good teams, you know, if the best teams always advance, but is it great for college basketball to always have the idea and, and keep having it reinforced that somebody on your bracket is going to do this. And I think that's what the last few years have made. They've made the tournament even more, must see because it's a it's like a lock now you somebody in this you know when you watch basketball games from noon to midnight on thursday and friday every year in the first weekend of the tournament somebody that's not supposed to win that's really not supposed to win is gonna is gonna win and and then we get to meet them and find you know what are their stories like you know last year was saint peter's you know, falling around Doug Eddard and his family and the mustache, you know, and, and, you know, the world getting introduced to Shaheen Holloway, who's, you know, now at Seton Hall, but what a, just a terrific coach he was. It, it's awesome. I mean, it just like, I barely got to watch a lot, a lot of basketball elsewhere because, you know, working on our site, but um, going back and watching that and seeing their sort of celebration and seeing the, you know, when they lost the other night, the way Tobin sort of just talked about the gratitude of where he was. I mean, a guy that was in what D two, D three, you know, until a, a couple of years ago, um, it's hard to believe that that can even happen. Like it on paper, that is just not supposed to happen, and it happens every year now in the tournament, and that is awesome. So, cheers to that. I'll piggyback on that because, you know, I we know that the viewership was really high, right? We know that everyone's paying attention and watching this, and. What I love about this time of year, and and I want to cheers to to really our listeners and like the fans. Everyone fills out a bracket, and you want to pick a couple of upsets to be edgy, right? To not go chalk, and you know that there's going to be some, but like the second that an underdog takes a lead in a game, or it looks like they might, we all just abandon that. We mm-hmm. all stop caring, and you root for that team, that Cinderella, every single time. Uh, we've been in those arenas like we felt it for Kennesaw State right as they almost beat Xavier in a 14-3 game on our site but I've I've been there Mercer beat Duke and and Stephen F. Austin beat West Virginia like it's one of the coolest feelings to be part of and you can feel it watching TV you know Twitter as the sports bar like it's it's one of the really cool pieces about all of this is everyone 
except the fans of that one team are pulling for the underdog. And it's very few situations, even in sports where you have that type of like cohesion and collective interest on the same side, but we all love, we all love the Davids against the Goliaths. And so I love that. And then real quick, I wanted to give a shout out because we had Chantel Jennings on this pod a couple weeks ago and we did a preview of the women's tournament. We talked about parity in in the women's field. And for those who have not been paying close attention, like maybe, okay, you know, the, the final fours and the elite eights have been really good and there's been really compelling games. Well, now there's starting to be more upsets in the early rounds. And on that side, two number one seeds went down in Stanford and Indiana and the more impressive part about that is that's on home courts. Stanford was hosting, Indiana was hosting. And then you have Ole Miss and um, Miami pull off these incredible upsets, these incredible finishes and games uh, and, and knock them out. And so it's not one of those sports where you can just pencil everybody in. you pencil all the favorites in. yeah, South Carolina may, may very well go undefeated and win this whole thing, but the rest of the sport is so interesting and the talent is spread out and there's great coaches on that side as well. And one of the weirdest things that could possibly happen was like Miami beat Indiana on the men's side and on the women's side to get to the sweet 16. I'm not sure I've ever seen that happen before. Uh, But it was, it it was surreal to watch that happen in assembly hall and, and to watch Stanford lose at home. So shout out to the women's tournament, which has had just as much March madness as the men's. And when you have these number one seeds go down and especially Stanford and just what they meant for women's basketball on their own home court, like even more of the hats off. So cheers to the parody in the women's game. Cheers to Ole Miss and Miami in particular for pulling off those massive upsets, but I'm excited. I'll be at the women's final four this year. So excited to see where all of that shakes out and, and they've got their super regional action this week, but uh, that'll do it for for this edition of Power Hour, the basketball edition. We'll have a couple more getting you through the final four on this feed. Kyle, thank you so much for making some time and sharing your insight with us. You're welcome. And I was thinking as you were talking, I bet they're not selling a lot of life wallets in uh, Bloomington these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, I'm guessing John Ruse is not very popular in the state of Indiana right now uh, after his uh, contributions to both sides, the men and the women at Miami. Uh, that'll do it for this week's Power Hour. I'll be back with Chris Vanini for a college football show later this week, and we'll be back with more basketball next week. So for Kyle Tucker, I'm Nicole Auerbach, and we'll talk to you soon.